Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshalls gets away, Marshalls gets away. Marshalls still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast which still wants DCE selected for the next Kangaroo Tour. Well, someone needs to clean and press Nathan Cleary's pockets after a day of Cameron Munster holding them. Uh, you found me, Big T, the Rugby League podcast version of an 18th man. On today's show, we'll be discussing our Origin Series win, best and worst changes over the last years, NRL expansion, NRL DJs and much more. But first... Joining me in the Sports Best Friends studios tonight is the most proudest man of James Tedesco, this side of James's parents, Sander Rosotto. Welcome, sir. Good to be with you guys. Uh, and on a scale, Sander, of one to nine, how many O's would you use to describe how much you want to boof Teddy right now? <laughs> Mate, it is off the Richter scale. Like, you know, <laughs> seriously, close relatives are welcome as well. And I would also suggest that the Richter scale is what one would use when measuring boofing Teddy, so that made, that made lots of sense. Uh, and with us is the most proudest person of Tom Travojevic, this side of his brothers. Welcome, Media Watch Mario. G'day. Now, how many times would you slip in I love you to Tommy during a 30-second jersey signing meetup and greet? Oh, certainly more than my children would get combined. <laughs> Great. That's a perfect answer. Uh, our, Kate, our coach, sorry, Eamon Brown, sitting patiently in the coach's box like Boyd Cordner in a New South Wales polo, is still busy parenting and only has time to tell us to keep recording. But regardless, Xander, please, <clears throat> regardless with your weekend. Yeah, but it was it was fairly, um, fairly low-key in COVID lockdown, Sydney. Um, I should just say that, um, you know, similar to, uh, to Boyd Cordner, Eamon, has suffered a number of concussions um, and is, <laughs> is also similarly still quite lucid and with it all, all the same. Um, but yeah, no, my weekend was pretty good. Um, you know, I took full advantage of the ability to go outdoors and exercise still. Um, so we just kind of had a, a fairly normal weekend just with more masks and hand sanitizers, really. Um, Ooh, yeah, sexy. and then, then capped it all off. It's the way I roll. Um, capped it all off with watching <laughs> a, a thumping blues victory um, over a over probably the worst Maroons side uh, in history, I think we can safely say. Ooh. Uh, well, we will say that once we beat them 16-0 in the third game. And it's also good to know that you're the people that people are taking sneaky photos of as they walk down Bondi promenades doing what they're allowed to do but being told they're not allowed <laughs> to. Now, this will all make no sense to you, Mario, because if you're, you're not in lockdown, you're in uh, a great part of New South Wales that is currently COVID-free. How was your lockdown-less weekend? Uh, well, we still have the masks out. Um, that's that's a statewide thing, but that's all. Oh. That's all we're having to to put up with at the moment. At this stage, our week away to Port Macquarie will be happening. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. So, we- weekend was pretty. Not much happened here, apart from apart from my five year old getting to enjoy his first game of Origin. You know, watching it on TV and managed to stay awake the entire time, which was a, a stretch for him because he's normally asleep long before eight o'clock. Mm. Are you, you're getting 
too far into the origin channel. I'm just going to pull you up a bit there. Now, we have a large listenership in Port Macquarie. So now when they see a, uh, a very handsome, quasi-Italian marathon-looking man walking around uh, talking loudly about how great everything is, those people should come up to Media Watch Mario and uh, COVID safely elbow bump him and then, and then wait for him to correct their grammar or punctuation as they talk to you. Now, let's, let's go back, Xander. I want you to tell me about where you were for your lockdown origin. Uh, who was with you, that kind of thing. Paint us, paint us a bit of a risotto picture. It was, it was pretty low-key, mate, I've got to say. I, um, I, I was literally just sitting at home watching it um, with my wife, who, as I've discussed before, has a passing interest in, in both rugby codes, but was uh, rather busy and not engaged and, and sort of slightly annoyed that the football was on uh, in the first place. Um, so it was just just me in lockdown at home, watching it by myself and... and um, and trying to out yell my neighbours uh, when a try was scored. Now I've got to tell you, busy, uh, busy, unengaged, and slightly annoyed. The football's on. It's exactly how my wife would describe uh, intimate time with me. So it's great that you're <laughs> kind of feels the same way. Uh, okay, and so she stayed awake for the whole thing. That's great. Mario, can you tell us? Can you paint a uh, media watch picture for us? Um, mine, mine sounds the same as Xander's, just with an added child. My wife watching Origin you know, probably mostly even looking at the, at the TV um, for the entire game and clearly being slightly annoyed that the game was on, but I think enjoying it more just being part of the, the experience of, of winning plus of my son having, you know, the, his enjoyment of being allowed to stay up late and watching the Blues win. And not just watching them win. I mean, as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, it had a real, like, delightfulness if you were a rabbit, a rooster, or a uh, sea eagle, because I don't want to. I mean, I do want to go minute by minute if you if you'll allow me. But the first ten minutes was. Uh, I'll just quickly actually paint you a tea picture. Um, everyone in my house, the, my child had gone to bed. My uh, the most beautiful tiger was in her room watching Netflix, and I she had though arranged for me, and, and I should point this out, she had arranged for. Chicken nuggets, some chicken nuggets and sausage rolls to be ready by halftime um, as a kind of delightful way of doing um, football considering I couldn't be at the pub. So that was so lovely of her. Um, and so that was lovely. But I was sitting watching it on a work iPad on my couch. So it was very far away from what I was no- normally used to uh, in my Leichhardt bowling club setting, but enjoyable nonetheless. Um, the first 10 minutes, I was surprisingly unworried. It, they, Queensland didn't look bad. They looked like they were playing good football. But we also looked like we we're playing good football. And mm. then, and then, big truck trail. Is, do either of you feel like you want to describe it or would you like me to, uh, to keep going? I'll keep going. No, wax lyrical, mate. Oh, because, I mean, I've just, I, I drew a picture of it today. I've just been watching that replay over and over again. Nathan Cleary kicks a long re- reefing kick downfield just for metres. Big truck trail, puts it into third revs his way all the way downhill and then hits that poor winger um, Kyle Felt with everything he's got. And Kyle Felt, just pleased to still be alive, forgot to, that he should also be holding the ball and Big Truck Trail bulldozed those insanely beautiful arms into the chest of Felt and pulled that ball out. And I have never been so excited <laughs> about a defensive play possibly <laughs> in my life. Since Simon Dwyer put a big shot on, on your bloke letters, um, how many thousands of years ago that was, that was just such a moment. And, and because we ended up winning it, 
it, it really feels like, you know, a huge moment. But even in, the, in present, I just felt even if we lose this game, that was such an incredible origin moment. Xander, how did you respond when you saw that? Yeah, like, I mean, like you, I, I watched the game um, the first 10 minutes. Um, still kind of confident, but a little bit more worried that there was going to be that sort of Queensland, you know, classic, um, uh, like, I, I guess, uh, spiteful performance where they just, play well above themselves but um new south wales just kept totally they were winning the field position battle up until that point and um it's fair to say that uh, kyle felt that um, yes 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 (laughs) i just have to have to throw something like that that in there but no that was that was one of the defining plays of that 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 opening stanza um and trell one of the things that really impressed me about him and has you know in the last game as well is you know he was effectively um uh, he was effectively dropped from New South Wales by Freddie because he he perceived a bit of a lack of effort in game three a couple of years ago, right? Like that he yeah. thought that that he wasn't putting that much effort in, in defence. And and Jesus, I feel like Trell has come, you know, back with a vengeance to to really prove that not only can he do those sorts of, you know, the the, the less fancy parts of the game in defence, but he he can do them in a way that is so impactful that they're almost more standout than his attacking plays. Yeah. Like, I mean, his intercept was something else. Um, but some of his defensive plays in the last couple of games have just been defining. Yeah, and, and his reads are phenomenal. I mean, the, the intercept's one of those reads. But um, there was, there's two other times where he put so much pressure on the halfback on Munster and DCE that they were already not, not having great games. But Latrell just, did, like, scared them. They, they literally looked scared... Um, just because he, he's such a big shot. It's not just that he'll hit you. He's such a big shot. Um, it was so scary. The intercept, though, Mario, I mean, was that as exciting as the reef? Or what, what, how did you see those two plays? Uh, the, the, the strip was good, but it doesn't... I think when you're watching with a five-year-old, you're looking for different things. And he sees a play like uh-huh. that, and he doesn't appreciate it quite the same way as watching someone streak away on his way to score. So when Luttrell mm. that intercept, I ju- David and I both jumped up at the same time and I yelled out, the thick King's away. And Davey started going, go, go Luttrell, go. And, and it was just hilarious. And just watching him just, just jog his way all the way to the line and no one really making much smiling was amazing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And he, he, there's a great interview with him afterwards where he's saying he gets that ball, he, he fakes out. It's just incredible also to think the small little, like, nuanced parts of the game. Even people like us who've watched it for 100,000 years um, still have so much to learn. And so the way that he gets Xavier, I oh know, he gets um, Valentine's, Hose, Valentine's Holmes to throw that is by a double knee fake out or something that it, that he says where he comes mm. in, comes back out and goes back in. And so gets Holmes to throw that. And then that's why he knows how to catch it because he's actually essentially told him, you should throw a pass now because I'm out of position um, and then catches it. But he immediately says he, he got to about the 30 or 40 and he's looking for out of car. <laughs> but by the time he'd hit the 50 meter line six and, and had, you know, and now the other side of the field, he started to realize that he could make it the entire way. Now, all of us were in the exact same mindset where he got into the backfield. We were all thinking, geez, I hope someone, from New South Wales catches him so he can get rid of this ball, but also then started to go, holy crap, that huge unit, it just has so much momentum, no one's ever going to stop him except for himself. <laughs> yeah, you can what just imagine him. Um, you can imagine had Xavier Coates run him down, although we have established in the last few weeks that the one tackle Xavier Coates is actually good at 
is tackling from behind once Latrell's burning. Mm. But uh, you just feel like, no, he wasn't stopping him that time. Latrell was going to put the big right arm out and just say, get, get stuffed and drag him across. And they also did that to Dan Gagai where, where he threw him around. And, and towards the close of the first half, though, Trell had done enough to, to put us up quite a lot. And Tom Travoyevich finally decided that he was going to also remind everyone that he's uh, one of the greatest players in the game. And, and Tom had some great spiking bits, Murray, on that right-hand side. Again, with Tedesco constantly pretty much involved in everything. But the one that I loved from Turbo is that one where <clears throat> James is scooting, scooting, scooting they get a great little ball out to, to turbo and then instead of turbo running drawing and passing he gets it as quickly as he can to add car because he just knows that he's going to burn everyone down that sideline but stays in touch with him i mean that must have also got your son right out of his chair well you can thank jason saab for that play oh pure and simple because manly all season since tommy's come back that's been their play is get the ball you see any space, give it to Saab, he'll burn them down the right. Tommy basically just played like he had Jason Saab outside him because Adokar mm-hmm. is the same speed. It's the sa- exact same play they've done that many times. And, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was pretty depressing watching Cam Murray just bombing tries all over the place but and then somehow getting... Two. Point from Two massive tries. Like, Murray was... I mean, he played okay apart from that, but I'm sorry, you can't bomb two absolute gimme tries the way he did and still get a point above Tony, Tommy Turbo. I, I like Peter Sterling, but his, his um, awarding of man of the match, like the, the 3-2-1, was a joke. Mm. It was a joke. Teddy was great. Teddy was the second best player on the field, but Latrell was the best by a country mile, in my opinion, and he should have been man of the match. But much like... Let's say Latrell had got it in game one over Tommy. It wouldn't have been a miscarriage of justice because Latrell was awesome too. Same goes here. Teddy was awesome, so I'm not too upset about that. The only thing I will say about Camari um, is that Tino and um, David Fafita were invisible in that game. Oh, now, yeah. people are going to put that on them. People are going to put that on them, but I'm putting that squarely on Cam Murray because I don't think they've ever really played particularly good for Queensland. It's because... Fiddler has always put, instead of playing Cam in, the, in that lock position like, like a lot of us wanted, he's always put Cam in front of those two guys and they have been absolutely nullified because Cam Murray does miss. Um, and so that, that has been one of the parts of his game since he's been playing for New South Wales that has just been so consistent and incredible. And there was even a game, I think in 2018 or 19, where we lost to centre and we put him out there in, in the centre when everyone could finally see him one-on-one, constantly never losing a tackle. And... He's, he was fantastic defensively. Maybe that's what Peter saw. Maybe Peter and I are just smarter than you, Murray, and, and that's, what's, that's what well, you're learning tonight, I'm not well, sure. No, what, what I would suggest is I agree that Cam Murray was very good defensively, but all <laughs> Cam Murray frothers out there who say that he was amazing purely based on making some tackles are the same people who, who like to say Jake Tolman because all Jake does is make tackles and never, ever miss them. So they cannot, you know, have it one way or the other people, but Murray is either amazing because of his defense and in spite of what he did in attack or, and, and so is Jake Turbo or they both suck, you know, pick one. Yeah. Well, let's talk about great defense because Tom Travojevich then, I mean, New South Wales has an incredible attacking first half. And then just to show that they're not just an attacking machine, they then have a clean sheet, incredible um, second half. And, and one of those is in the 54th minute where, Tom Trevojevic, they finally score. Queensland score for all money. They just get a long arching pass out wide. Xavier Coates has done this a thousand times. 
and here he is in the corner. But of course, he's on the wrong wing, and so he uses his right arm. And Tom Travojevic is just so special that not only does he make that that um, space up and doesn't give up on that play, but instead of trying to tackle or shoulder charge, whatever a normal player would do, he's got arms out looking for that ball vis-a-vis um, Roger Tuovasa-Shek of things in round one or round two. Yep. Xander, I know that Mario wants to keep talking about Tom, but I'm going to give you a chance. <laughs> Travojevic in that moment there, un- incredible. Oh, you know, that, that, that effort. And, and to be fair, there was, I think, I counted, what, four massive try-saving right. uh, attempt, uh, efforts by New South Wales. Mm. But that was probably the most spectacular of them. Um, him getting him, like coming across to cover that distance in that amount of time in that position is superhuman. And yeah, just knocking it out just shows the desperation there. Similar with, with um, you know, it was more impressive what, what uh, Turbo did, but Toa as well, even though he was oh, yeah. outgunned for a height, he managed to prevent, you know, two what would have been certain tries by just causing enough interference, um, you know, uh, for either, uh, I think it was um, Capewell in one of them and, you know, I can't remember, and felt the other one. Yeah. Oh, just, for sure. Uh, just, perfect positioning, perfect timing, because Felt's mm. got the wood on him in height and in experience with those situations. You're right. The other great thing about it is uh, that I want you to talk about, Xander, is Tedesco, dummy half, looks up, sees that he's outnumbered five to two and still backs himself against Josh Odokar in the 70th minute with Josh Odokar, sorry. Oh, yeah. No, Teddy, um, I think there's a few people who sort of, thought he had a bit of a quiet game by his standards in game one. I think that was partially because he was just surrounded by so many superstars. He still had a pretty bloody good game. Agreed. Um, mm. But, but yeah, he, um, he, he, he just has an ability to bounce out of tackles and keep momentum going. The likes of which, I mean, like they're, you know, Trell and Turbo uh, both bring very different sort of, uh, I think, yeah. sets to the game. But, but what Tedesco does is he just creates such a, an uncertainty in defence, where they're always standing off him because they're, they're never confident they can catch the bugger. And, yeah, when he, when he was able to just, uh, you know, go in uh, with Adokar there, that was, um, yeah, no, that, that typified the character he sh- showed in that game. He created a lot, um, but uh, just, just the level of, um, the, the level of uh, you know, a challenge he posed to, to, to that Queensland side, they, they, never, they never managed to, atta- to account for him, more, for him all night, I didn't think. I mean... Taking that on when it's five on two is like as a coach, you'd fire him. It was such a stupid play. It was never on. It was tackle zero. I, I just couldn't believe because they'd had a set restart in that thing. It was just insane. But the fact that it came off just showed not only the confidence in each other, but just the, the supreme ability. Um, but it was just incredible. But the, other, the only one I talk about, I mean, Josh had a car's great and, and, and he had a great game. He scored two tries. He did everything a wing should. Brian Toto, though, a bunch of times, took two and, and there was one set where he even took three um, runs in that. It's just all run meters that bloke ended up with 230, which is only four behind <laughs> um, Tedesco. Now, Tedesco is that's a huge effort from him as well. So I'm, I'm not diminishing what um, Tedesco did. He did that extra four meters, though, with three extra runs. Um, and so just Brian taking those and tackle one, tackle two, anytime the ball went dead, um, Toto took the first and, and as I said, often third hit up there. And the thing that Billy Slater and um, Joey kept talking about was how New South Wales players could get behind to play the ball much first, faster than Queensland's. And 
Mm. They put that down to fitness or enthusiasm or whatever. But one thing that they completely neglected to talk about was that also New South Wales was moving up the field faster and therefore catching their forwards earlier. So that so optically it looked like they were getting behind the play the ball faster, but in actual fact, Brian Toll was dragging the ball up past the forwards um, often faster. And it just can't be underestimated how important those first two runs are on every single set. Um, and we see it all the time with six again defensively. That's so important that you'd even give away that first tackle if you can get that defensive line set because they know that they'd rather if you can't if you get momentum on that first first uh, second and third tackle it can have a huge impact on your fourth and fifth. And so you're happy to give away a tackle just to slow that momentum down, but to- or just re- refuse to let them do that. And and Tom Trevojevic had those runs a lot of times as well, even with his with his height. But I just I, I probably underrated. To a lot before this series, and I just feel near embarrassed by how incredible he was um, in both games. I think with Toto, you know, he reminds me of actually. Sorry, I think with Toto, I think what's so, so you, important about him is the fact that he's that little bit shorter means they keep kicking it to him, but that is to the detriment hmm. of the other of the team doing the kicking because, as you said, he's just so good at running the ball back. He's he's basically Matt Utah with speed. You know, instead of this... That's exactly what I was about to say. I was about yeah. to say, yeah, there's the leg drive of Matt Utai. It's so when amazing. they do, he does go into contact, he, they just can't stop him. Yeah, they're actually better off well, it was an to good... Josh Addo car more often because he's not going to make those same metres. Although then their problem is mm. then off that second tackle, Addo car passes, you know, the dummy half passes to Tommy and then Tommy makes the same metres anyway. Like, there's, there was no winning for them. Mm. Yeah, it, it was it was incredible. Now, you mentioned at the top of that, then Xander, you think this could be the worst Queensland team of all time. Um, now we've ha- they've had that pegged on them a bunch of times and ended up winning that series. This is the first time they've had it pegged, and they've been pegged. Um, and I mean, do you really think that is the worst Queensland team, or do you think it could actually be just one of the best New South Wales teams? No, I'm taking the piss. I don't think they're the worst Queensland team of all time. I mean, I, I still think you know they had a few outs, obviously. Um, with Harry Grant uh, being out, you know, obviously the the bizarre situation uh, with you know with Walsh and Militalo. Um but uh, you know they still had the, the test halves for Australia, still had um, you know uh, a lot of lot of uh, kangaroos representatives in general. Actually, you know Josh Papali, you know had like David for feeder. Uh, these are these are great like uh, representative players that they have littered throughout their side. Um, they just they struggled a little bit at fullback and hooker. They still had they still had the incumbent kangaroo stars though, and a lot of uh, you know and and some some decent strike in in a uh, in a Queensland uh, in a, in a Broncos uh, side uh, that they were able to draw on that's just been underperforming below its its actual capability. So Coates and that has strike. You know a lot of these guys have strike. They're just um that they were just shut down. They were just completely outclassed. I think it is more about just how good this New South Wales side is. And it, and it is, you know, a bit reminiscent of the, the mismatch that you saw um, when, you know, you had those those poor New South Wales sides who had to, like, I mean, it was it was uh, Mitchell Pierce was our best seven and and up against Cronk, uh, you know, uh, Thurston, Slater, Inglis, Smith, um, just chalk and cheese. Uh, it's always going to be hard to win against that big of a class gap. And I think with what we're seeing with Cleary, uh, Luai, and then our freakish mix of three fullbacks with two of them playing in the centres and then just out and out uh, finishes uh, with Adokar and To'o. And, well, more than that, they're almost second forwards with To'o. Um, 
it's just too much. They, they, we said it after the last game, but, you know, they talked about trying to shut down uh, Travojevic. Just like, well, if you start focusing on Travojevic, then you know, you, 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 you're forgetting about uh, Mitchell and then you're forgetting about uh, Tedesco. And, you know, you're frankly probably also not paying enough attention to Cleary and, and Luai. So, it's, you know, it's, it's very hard to contain. Ari, do you agree that is it the is it the New South Wales team that's too good, or is it the Queensland team that's not good enough? I think this is one of the best New South Wales teams ever. Not the best, but the back seven. Uh, it, certainly in my life, I don't think there's ever been any better. Because even when you had Joey and Freddie, there'd always be a couple of slight sort of weaknesses there. It maybe not weaknesses, but mm, people mm. just not on quite on that level. Now, although I don't think, I think on paper. The 1996 Queensland team is not as good as the team that were trotted out yesterday, but you underestimate just how bad a coach Paul Green is. To give you a bit of context <laughs> to that, Paul, Paul Green is the guy. So he, he had playing for him what some people believe, incorrectly albeit, but to be the greatest halfback of all time, Jonathan Thurston. And yet he led them to 13th, 14th, and 14th in three consecutive years. Now that, I'm sorry, is not a good coach in any stretch, in any way you think about it. Yes, they won a grand final. Yes, they made another grand final. But that is just the... I mean, Des took the 2014 Bulldogs to a grand final. You know, strange things do happen. But you look at his, his numbers overall as Cowboys coach and they were bad and you look at what he's done with Queensland and they were they were useless in game one and they apart from maybe 15 minutes they were not that much better the other night so I I think when you add up Paul Green as the coach I think this is the worst Queensland team of all time just because of the lineup obviously if Harry Grant or Reed Marnie were playing at hooker that would help a lot but my god Andrew McCulloch is not a first grade player he's atrocious yeah that was a bad selection and it was a, bu- a bunch of double pumps or misreads from him that, that really cost him now <clears throat> I'm glad you brought up um, Green because in his press conference afterwards which I of course um, ate up like dessert he, um, he was really quite sad and, and so was DCE but they were upset first of all with the result losing the series but they were also speaking a lot about Ronaldo Molotalo and, and, and a lot of the media since has talked about not having him or Reese Walsh, and then also a little bit about how the forwards didn't turn up. Now, the forwards not turning up for me is, is a real conundrum because I think, I mean, they had a lot of fantastic players in that team that, that played well. Their forward pack wasn't shut down. Papali ran for over 100 metres. Christian Welsh ran for 130 metres. Their, their forwards worked. Jai Arrow, 102 metres. It was decision-making um, everywhere else that I think was the thing that fell down, like... Um, the hooker you just mentioned, like DCE. But in the press conference, DCE and Paul Green, are they're talking about how disappointing it was that the QRL, the NRL, actually they blame the NRL, not the QRL, ah. for the Ronaldo Molotalo. Now, the crazy thing about that is Ronaldo Molotalo is a good footballer for the Sharks, but he's not anything that anyone's been talking about really origin-wise up until this year. And even then it was because of so much injury. And Reese Walsh, started playing this year. So are those two players really coming in and having such a big impact that when you lose them, 
a couple of days beforehand that it's worth not at all discussing in a press conference, Mario? Not at all. It's just that that's a, a classic deflection. That's all that was. It was so transparent. It was just pathetic. That um, the idea. I mean, Paul Green as the coach, he should come out and take the blame. DCE as captain should come out and take the blame. Instead, they're trying to deflect, and it just what that is doing is saying to the team. It's okay to take the blame off the players individually, but to take to completely pass the blame onto the NRL. Now, I, I liken this situation, the the Mulatalo thing, to the Willy Wonka movie. Now, basically, the way I see it, the ARL are Willy Wonka at the end of the movie, telling Charlie, "No, you lose. Good day, sir." Um, and the QRL <laughs> are Grandpa Joe absolute frauds who've been breaking the rules and just slacking off for the last 20 plus years. And, and people somehow think they're the good guys when in reality, they are the biggest cunts on earth. Well, oh, man, I remember Willy Wonka so different to you. Well, <laughs> I, don't remember, I don't remember grandpa Joe being, being a cheating asshole. Um, oh, I remember him yeah. breaking rules and drinking that stuff and, and being, I do remember him as a kid being like, what, why is that guy telling him to drink the soda or whatever? Hang on, he's getting everyone hang stitched on, up. You guys are killing me. You're killing me. Grandpa Joe. Oh no. 20 years in a bed, making his daughter slave away for you know to to house this entire family yet the moment the offer of chocolate is waved in his face he's dancing around the room the guy is a massive you know what he is the worst character i stand corrected you are absolutely right i never even thought about it he is the he is the only character in movie history worse than that guy from love actually who tries to steal kira knightley (laughs) I, i don't remember that that movie at all, but um, I'll take your word for it. But no, oh, no you remember it. You it's up. a guy. There's a guy at Christmas who's got some signs and he's holding it in front of his best friend's new wife, and and then she kisses him for some reason. I agree. That whole scene also, Mario, didn't make sense to me. And, and I'm I'm happy to have another QRL analogy with um, that idiot. But okay, I love it. So Grandpa Joe's QRL. Now that I'm back, NRL was Willy Wonka. Yeah. And which one's Ronaldo? The well, soda I guess, pop. I guess he's Charlie. <laughs> I don't know. I think my analogy <laughs> falls down a little bit there. But let's, I'm just focusing on QRL and ARL. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So know, your, your analogy, your analogy will be revived if, if the ARLC decide to use their discretionary power to um, to grant Mulatalo um, uh, access to a hidden elevator engine. Bingo. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Then it'll, yeah, then great. it'll perfectly stand up. But no, I, I reckon, I reckon you're, you're right, Mario. Like it's. It's 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 frankly ridiculous. I mean, you know, they weren't disrupted by that. They were disrupted by the fact that they picked an eighteen-year-old kid who, who played seven games as their, yeah. their backup, um, and then you know had him get injured on the day of the game, uh, and then their backup was somebody who they never bothered to check if he was actually eligible for Origin. Like, I mean, it's 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 a it's a farce that it got to that stage. But you know, there are three there are three criteria that you can rest on to be eligible for origin he just didn't fit any of them he didn't have a, uh, a a father who played for queensland you know he wasn't in queensland um before the age of uh, 13. um you know he was born in new zealand he, he grew up in auckland probably idolizing the all blacks and he even listed on his on multiple contracts that he wasn't eligible to play our origin so you know i mean it's 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 a shame that he was um selected for those sides and no one picked it up till now, but you know, it's, it's sure. it was just a stuff up by the Queensland rugby league and people are out there comparing it to the Suwali situation. You know, Suwali to get 
the right to play a little bit earlier than he was going to be playing anyway, went through eight months of, you know, applications, character references, agreements from other clubs before the NRL would, would actually allow it. You know, Queensland just basically threw this guy on the list and hoped no one would notice that they hadn't done their due diligence. And then, isn't that just classic it, it was, Queensland? I, I mean, they got away with it yeah, for so many precisely. years. They got away with it with the original Queenslander. They got away with it with um, Greg Inglis. They got away with it with Israel Folau. They got away with it with Adrian Lamb even. The fact that his son is eligible for Queensland to, simply because his dad was wrongfully picked for Queensland is hilarious. It's just... You know, they've gotten away with it for so long that why shouldn't they just try it with Molotano? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and ultimately, you know, we're talking about a, a winger here. Wingers are important in the modern game. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was more about the decision-making of their halves. As you said, they, had, they had to go forward up front. You know, that is a good forward pack. Papali'i, Welch, you know, um, Arrow and... Um, uh, and uh, 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 for feeder, are, it's a, that's a formidable core if forwards you've got to give you go forward. Um, but, you know, Cherry Evans had a very average game. Munster, again, tried his hardest, but, you know, was just just completely outgunned in attack and, you know, was out, was was actually made to look a bit of a fool by, uh, you know, uh, by the New South Wales uh, defence on a number of occasions. That, that was where they fell down. Is they, 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 did, they were not coordinated in attack to begin with. It wasn't down to one one winger that they couldn't uh, get selected correctly. Yeah, I mean, David Fafita actually came off the bench in this game, which is also delicious. So Felice Cafusi, who was the other um, back row you were trying to think of, one of Mario's favourites. But um, I yes, would also Cafusi, suggest to you... <laughs> I just, just quickly, Cafusi, i, I got to say, the, the, the memes coming out of this series between oh, yeah. the wire, just, just gold. Yeah. I feel bad for him, actually, um, but... Ugh. Uh, no, I think he's 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 had a, his fair share of being on the other side of that photo, so I think he's okay. The um, the one other thing I'll just say about this before we move off it is Ronaldo Molotalo, in my humble respects, isn't actually as good as Xavier Coates, and Xavier Coates probably should have been selected before him anyway. So it mm. all came out. The I wash. agree. I, I, agree. I, I can't imagine why we worried about it too much. But speaking of the next game, where we watch probably Xavier Coates play again on the wing, uh, it will be in. Where, Mario? I think it should be in Melbourne, given they missed out on the first game and they are now completely mm. you know, free of lockdown, whereas the talk of Newcastle, for me, doesn't make sense while a lot of New South Wales is still under restrictions. The only question mark I have over it going to Melbourne is, could they get even 40,000 people there if mm. they're not allowing in Queenslanders or Victoria or New South Welshmen to get into the state to come to the game? So that's probably the big downside of taking it there, which leads me more to thinking Canberra should have it. Zotto? Yeah, Canberra, absolutely not. Um, you know, <laughs> 12,000 seat capacity place. Um, I just don't know why you play Origin down there. Um, I think uh, if you're going to take it somewhere, you, you take it, you know, and I've spent a lot of time in Canberra, you know, like it's a, you know, they'll, they'll get behind, um, you know, the odd sporting event, but it's the town of, um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a rugby league town like what, like Newcastle is and Newcastle, that stadium, you know, has a capacity of what 30,000 plus it'll, it'll still be a good atmosphere up there. 
and they will attend regardless. And the, the additional problem you've got with Melbourne, which you're probably forgetting in addition to the travel restrictions, the series has been decided. And, and the reason they, they start, they want to start or play mm. the second game in Victoria uh, or, the, or, or have their road, you know, their roadshow piece in um, before the third game is because it's still a live series and there's still interest for the neutral. So, you know, neutral fans down there, you know, they're going to a dead rubber. I mean, there's no, it just wouldn't work to take it to Melbourne or on the road anywhere else, but um, Newcastle in my view. Okay, well, my Newcastle grandmother told me not to say Newcastle because um, she doesn't want it down there. She's genuinely concerned that people with the virus will go there. I think that's a bit of an old lady way of looking at it, but <laughs> that's what my nat- that's what my nana said, then that's what I'm going to go with. Um, the, I, do you think they would be at full capacity, though, if, if McDonald Jones opens up? I just can't imagine the state government's going to let them do full capacity. Yeah, so that's the, that's the condition, right? Is mm. The condition is that if, if it's going to go to McDonald Jones, they have to have some assurance that they'll be able to be at full capacity. So that's that's the wrinkle. In it. I mean, I, I honestly don't know where. Like, I mean, they could potentially, you know, keep it somewhere else. The layout, I'm not really sure what they can do. but. Um, yeah, on the road, it's it's not good. Like it makes sense to keep it in a regional centre where you, where you're assured support, uh, but a dead rubber is going to be a harder sell elsewhere. So, so what I'm hearing is probably can't be Melbourne because although uh, morally it makes sense because they lost game one, financially it might not make sense. New South Wales is going to be hard to sell because either it's going to be reduced stadiums or the stadium is going to be too possibly too small. And I can't, I mean, the other then option is Queensland and we do it at Seabus because they haven't had one, but surely it's going to be a harder sell than, than Melbourne to try and get Queenslanders to go and watch New South Wales be handed the trophy. Yeah, I would have thought so. So I know, I think, I think it's either that or they delay it. They, they say we're actually going to delay the game three until, you know, uh, six weeks from now when, when the COVID situation is clarified or two months or something like that. Well, how does that work with, with the draw? You think you know, they just, hold over that that um, round where they have buyers and they just skip it forward to whatever week they're suggesting? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I imagine that's something that the the NRL is now currently considering, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough one because it's a big revenue spinner for them, right? So, I mean, yeah. in an ideal world, it, it is a, it is a um, decided series at this point. Like, it's just, um, it's just for completionism that they're going to play that third game. Like, I mean, if it was played as Anne said, as a, you know, Died in the wool uh, blues fan. I would absolutely go out and watch it to to, to see us claim a clean sweep. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I just think it'll be a hard sell in a lot of other places. Can, is an option just to do it in front of no one at ANZ? Yeah, I don't think the NRL will want that. I mean, you, you either sell eighty thousand tickets, make a bucket, make a bucket of money, or, or do that. I think I think they'll opt for you know at least partial crowds if they can. Mm. So we didn't come up with an answer. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm vibing. Well, Mario's saying Melbourne. You're still saying Cam- uh, just, you're saying anyway, but Canberra. Is that just what do answer? it at Suncorp? Yeah, I, I just do it at Suncorp. We'll beat them three nil in their own shitty state. So that seems like an even bigger win. <laughs> and only New South Wales people can go. So if they're taking COVID, they're only giving it to themselves. Yeah, I like that. That's a good. That's a good fix. Now, speaking of giving COVID to other people and New South Welshmen, please tell me you've heard that the Canterbury Banks and Bulldogs had three players that breached COVID lockdown or, sorry, bubble restrictions in the face of a growing New South Wales pandemic. Mario, you're, you're the most angry person I um, know at, at a drop of a hat. How angry were you when someone dropped this hat? 
I just looked at that story and I just, I shook my head and I sighed because it, it was just so predictable. The only surprising thing was that it wasn't, you know, Tavita Pangai Jr. or Payne Haas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow in Bali doing it. Yeah. Uh, okay. And do you think, the thing that upsets me about this kind of story is the peripheral fans, like uh, people that I, I know and spend time with, just wipe this across um, all football players. And they said that this is a, mm-hmm. of course, what else are football players going to do? That this is the kind of stupid thing that football players do. do. And, and it's that kind of stupidity from one or two idiot players that then paint our entire sport with it. it that's what got me most upset about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's frustrating, uh, but, you know, uh, it's, it's a, the, I think the simple rejoinder to that is that um, when you look across the States, you know, uh, people are doing this everywhere. You know, there's always somebody who, who, who seems to think the rules don't apply to them. And in a competition with as many professional football players, there will be a couple of dopes that do carry on like that, unfortunately. Um, generally, though, they've been pretty good, right? Like, I mean, the uh, the Project Apollo last year um, operated because all the players understood what was on the line. So I think it's just more than anything, it's just going to be a bit of a refresher and the players have actually been probably at a better standard than most of the rest of society, um, if you're being honest about mm. it. It's just, yeah, it's just a perception thing. It's very hard to combat. Yeah, well said. Um, now, while we're in club land, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but the Parramatta Eels playing the Penrith Panthers this weekend. Now the origins are saying they're going to the, the review mirror. That would have been a fantastic game and should now be even more spicy because Nathan Cleary's got a bit of an injury niggle with his right shoulder, Mario. I'm worrying that, uh, well, I still think the Penrith win without Nathan Cleary, but I, I can see that that might be an issue. What do you, where do you stand with that? I think another big question is even, uh, it, it could be, that let's say he is a little bit injured, but Ivan might want to rest a player or two anyway, because it just depends how they all pull up from the game. I know it's a week after, yeah. it was a big tough, you know, it was a much tougher game than game one. So I could imagine a couple of guys being rested. And so who knows? So that could work in Parramatta's favor and they could get, you know, the, the standard Parramatta win where they, you know, playing against a weakened team. <laughs> Xander, they're paying two dollars seventy. I know you love a punt, and you've got a bunch of mates who are punter friends. Is two seventy two good to pass up with Nathan Cleary out, or still probably on the Panthers at a dollar forty five? You know what? I, I mean, it's it, this is a tough one for me um, because the, the last couple of times that um, we've we've seen uh, Penrith play, um, where they've been a little bit short, um, you know, they just they haven't done very well. Right, but by the same token, oh, this is the two games that they've lost. By the same token, I, I just remain inherently skeptical of the Eels. I don't know what it is about them, but I just, <laughs> I just think that I just think they're pretenders. Like I can't. Thirty-five years. Don't, I don't think. I just yeah, something about them. I'm just not convinced. I know since they've dropped, um, uh, I know since they've they've uh, 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 they've dropped Ferguson, they've tightened up um, on that edge, and they've stopped leaking so many points, and they've they've looked a little bit more of a character side, but there's. I, I do I do have this niggling sense that they are flat track bullies and if they're if it's brought to them up front that they'll wilt. And I don't know, I think that I think the Panthers probably still have a bit of um a bit too much in them, even without Cleary. If it's just Cleary that's out and the rest of them play out, I'd probably go with the Panthers. 
Now, this is a huge aside. Flat track bully. Now, I understand what that term means because, because I've watched the Parramatta Eels for the last two years. But what does the term originate from? Is it a racing term? Like, do you have actually, do either of you have any idea what the, what the term originally meant? It's a good question, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, what is the etymology of? Yeah, it's just because it's used so well in, in so many contexts that you eventually understand what it means. But it's a frustrating uh, phrase and I can't wait for someone to finally tell us what it means because, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's frustrating me. But you mentioned, Xander, really quickly that the Penrith had lost already two games this year. Can you just remind me who they were against? Uh, so who did they? Who did they actually <laughs> lose against? I actually can't remember. Mario, can you help me out? Uh, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction, but I will give you the satisfaction of saying that the flat term flat track ball is originally used for batsmen in cricket who tended to make hay while the sun shone and pitches were flat and thus unhelpful to bowlers. And uh, make hay while the sun shone. There you go. There's another expression to explain an expression. Uh, And that was what I was trying to do then. I was trying to make hay while the sun shone out of that small element of illegitimate joy that I was given <laughs> three or four weeks ago. Now, that was one of the greatest things that had happened in the last few decades. But I want to know what you think, um, seeing that there's been a lot of changes uh, and evolutions to our game over the last decade or two. I think officially the modern era started in 1980, but uh, it doesn't really matter. So in the last few decades, what, Mario, has been your best change that you've seen in our beautiful game? You're going to credit the creator of that question? I will once you've finished okay, answering sure. it. Uh, to me, the corner post rule. Keep going. Uh, it just We'd been calling for that to change for years. It never made sense that just touching the corner post meant out. It was always silly. And then what we've seen wingers and, and not just wingers, what we've seen people like Tavita Pangai Jr. do and the occasional center and stuff out in the corner, the way they can finish, the way um, Xavier Coates almost finished the other other night, you know, <laughs> the way, I mean, probably Corey Oates was maybe the best one I've ever seen where he was basically sideways, but kept his body, you know, his feet off the ground and mm. got just the one hand and barely shape, you know, barely scraped a blade of grass while he, before he touched the ground, it's just absolutely miraculous stuff. But it's not just him, you know, Rapana, Fusatua, that there's a bunch of guys who've just become amazing at it. And almost all the wingers, in fact, they just, I don't know mm. if they actually practice it. It's a question that people ask, but you feel like they must, or they're just that naturally athletically gifted. They can just do that sort of shit. To me, it it's made the game really, really exciting. For, I think for people who'd be a casual watcher of the game, you know, with shoulder charges gone, that's something that a casual watcher could look at and go, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. And in fact, there's two things I want to pick up there. That's exactly what people often say should be the way that they sell rugby league. It's not about brutality or about how fast people can run because that's something that a lot of sports have. But what we have is that we have such huge athletic, strong bodies. As we said moments ago, Brian Toll's looked like a forward in his body type, but then they're also that athleticism. So that mix of brute strength and size and, and real athleticism that you'd see in a lot of positions in, in an NFL or a uh, lot of different sports, uh, AFL body, but then also the athleticism that they have to have uh, is is incredible. But they do definitely train that. One of the one of the drills I know is called four corners, where you start uh, back to each other, you run through 
opposite corners and then one person has a ball, one person does not. It's a very small, it's almost four by four meters and you, and it's two hand tag. And so that guy has such a small spot to one-on-one beat that person. And often they're encouraged to do that through uh, picking a corner and sprinting at it and then diving like that with the ball. So it's certainly something that's been to, developed and trained um, for a really long time. Xander, what's your uh, best change over the last decade or two? So I was, I was a bit torn uh, on this one, like for on, on just functional rule changes and then and I guess broader competition eligibility and other thing, issues. I think on balance, my favourite uh, change to the game has actually been um, uh, creating a, a tiered structure for uh, representative football where uh, a player can opt to represent another country at a tier two level and also still uh, play state of origin. Um, I know we sort of discussed this and, you know, the, the, the differences, like people are getting their knickers in a twist about Mulatalo, but, you know, he was a Kiwi and they're a T1 nation. But I, I think when you look at the, um, particularly like for somebody like me who's, um, you know, uh, knows a lot of people uh, in the Pacific Island community through through my wife and, and others, just the the boost of energy that um, having strong Tonga, Samoa and Fiji insides that have been in, uh, enabled by allowing that flexibility because up until now, you know, I mean, a lot of players did opt to play for Australia or New Zealand as opposed to those island nations because, um, particularly in the case of Australia, because they wanted to play origin. And, um, you know, I know this, this, this volatile things piss off a lot of people, um, but hey, suck at Queensland. Um, and it, it just has, it has just completely changed the complexion of international football and, and made it something that um, I don't think anyone expected, you know, with the Tongan side that went and beat New Zealand, Australia and England in succession last year. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, or the year before, rather. Um, it, it's quite incredible. Now, um, on an operational front, I will say just really briefly, um, uh, this, is, this is going to be a controversial one, but I love the, the taking uh, of the bunker behind the curtain and having on-field ref rules the uh, rules the try. I absolutely adore that, um, that, that change. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was a good, that was a good change too. Um, also just quickly back on 2019 where Tonga D beat the Kangaroos, which was great, I guess, for international really, but it really shut me off at the time. James Tedesco that year had won the grand final, had the grand final winning, grand final winning try. He also had the grand final winning try for New South Wales to take that series and scooted from dummy half and was what I can only imagine a lace of the, of the football away from scoring a try against Tonga to win that international test. Mm, and although, yeah, although a lot of people will tell me that it was great for Tonga to do that, there was also a much larger part of me that would have been forever in, you know, indebted to James Tedesco in one year to see a play like that make those three huge players in one year. It would have just been history in the makingness. Now, that question was from Day JD1313. He did also ask the worst changes, but that's not the kind of podcast we are. We're, we're all about um, talking about great things, Jay. So we appreciate your question. My one uh, over the last couple of years is the creation of the NRLW. I think women's football is, is a fantastic part of, of our rugby league landscape internationally and locally. There is a huge amount of uh, women who are trying to get into sports and girls who are trying to get into sports in lots of different body types. Uh, through speed and touch and, and Oztag um, and then lots of things like that. It's a, it's a great team sport. It, there's so many great things about our game. And so it's so great that we finally gave them not just a chance to play it in local levels, but a real shining light <clears throat> to pathway to. And so it all happened in the, in the same five years where we, we bought, well, the NRL 
took on tag and they took on touch. And because of that, increased their numbers uh, dramatically, but also then encouraged uh, women and girls to play the sport more than they'd ever done before and created NRLW. Now, the thing that I've recently learned about the NRLW is that it is not just fantastic for local and, and representative women in Australia, but PNG see it as a real like a, a real way of of supporting and getting something done for themselves as well. So they work really hard within their province and then their region and then their country to get noticed so that they can get an NRLW contract and then essentially change their lives and the lives of their families. So it is such a fantastic, and that's, and that's the thing that didn't exist a few years ago. So I'm such a massive fan of the NRLW and, I, and that's probably my biggest uh, positive change that's happened in the last decade. There has also now recently been the Titans added to it Parramatta added to it and someone else that I can't remember right now. Titans, thank you. That's my team. Thanks for reminding me. And uh, and there's a chat of adding another two next year. One of them should be the Warriors, who unfortunately couldn't be there this year. The other one is still up for debate. Now, there's been a bunch bandied out there, Perth, Melbourne, um, and a whole bunch of obviously foundation, New- Sydney, New South Wales teams. Mario, what's your kind of where are you leaning towards with another NRLW team? I feel bad. I do feel bad for the Sharks in the women's comp because they probably more than any other team from everything I understand were sort of the pioneers. I believe they were the first one to be giving contracts to all their players and, and various other things. They were really pioneering women's footy for quite a while. That being said, I think they've missed the boat and I don't think they should have a team now. Uh, So New Mm. Zealand is an absolute certainty. They should be in there. You won't believe this out of my mouth. I think it should be Melbourne next. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the same thing. Well, why, Mario? I want you to to talk lovingly about Melbourne for as long as I can. I'll never be loving about Melbourne, I can't imagine. But to me, there is some small amount of exposure for rugby league in Victoria. I think having a good women's team and a you know the visibility of a good women's comp there will actually do a lot for juniors. I think it has potential to a lot for juniors. Being a parent of a junior player now, talking to other parents from my own team, club and various other clubs, it seems universal in the, in the, at least in the junior section, that everyone is really enthusiastic about women's footy for their own selfish reasons of, oh my gosh, maybe now if my daughter plays, you know, there's actually a future in it for her, whereas once upon a time I would have steered at a soccer or netball or something like that. And so I think that is a huge thing. Now, personally, my daughter doesn't want to play footy and that's fine. But if she were, I wouldn't be sitting there thinking, geez, I hope she doesn't take this as a career because there's no future in it. You know, I'd be thinking, cool, there's, there's something for her. So I really like that. And I think that's a, a good thing to get a bit of grassroots support happening. And I think that could be a good thing for the NRL and even ugh, for the Melbourne Storm. And Xander, anything that Mario missed? No, I agree completely with uh, what uh, what Mario said there. I, I I think that you know, from a um, a developmental standpoint, they might have a harder time of it um, than some of the foundation clubs who, um, as you rightly point out, uh, particularly with the Sharks, have, have been putting the effort in here already. But I think I think from a you know a strategic standpoint uh, for the the whole of game, it is it is critical that the game has a robust presence across every level in Victoria. 
Um, you know, WA would be nice, but you know, we we currently have an NRL team there, and and it, it is a a more difficult market. And you know, there are challenges there. I think I think Auckland makes a lot of sense as well. The Warriors are an important market, but um, but Victoria is critical. And the other great thing about Victoria is. I mean, we mentioned there that there are some foundation clubs that are doing a great job. And, and the West Tigers and Sharks have been fantastic um, in the last few years trying to get a team. Same with South Sydney. Um, they've been fantastic in this space. Uh, and the Roosters to another extent. But I, I also, I unfortunately, agree with you. Because Victoria has a bunch of clubs that are doing a great job there. Waverley, Panthers, the uh, Peckham Eels. And my favourite, the Altoona Roosters. They're, they're doing a great job. And they've been doing a great job with guys and have been doing well with guys for a few years, but also very quickly got on with girls. And so they see a W an NRLW um, franchise there. I think that helps. Now, the other thing that's come out about this is that there's been a push for the Broncos, uh, the women's Broncos teams to be split up because they're so good. A lot of them don't want to move one because it's a winning culture and two, because they don't get paid enough to be moved um, to another part of the country uh, to have their family and careers moved because unlike a lot of the uh, men um, players, when they get moved, their job is moving them. So it's, it's, it's partially easier. Whereas with a lot of these NRLW Brisbane players, their jobs aren't being moved. It's just one of their parts of their income for part of the year is being moved. And so it's, it, there's a new debate about is it okay? How, how do we cap this and how do we help develop when we can't move people around? That's another issue you're going to have with Melbourne is you're going to need to, at, at the present bit, send people down there, send their lives down there. Um, and and how feasible is that really, Mario? Can we ask people? It's important to rugby league that we start a Melbourne team, which also now means that you, a whole bunch of people who are great, Kezi, absolutely now need to move from Wollongong and now live in Melbourne because we, we need you to be down there for two months of the year. You're right. That makes it really, really hard. Um, I don't have an answer to that. That's I, don't, I hadn't thought of it and I can't believe I hadn't. <laughs> Because as you say, it's not just them moving, it's their husbands or partners or whatever who, in theory, have to move down with them or might want to move down with them because, you know, they don't want to be split up for months at a time. And, and as the comp expands, of course, the comp has to get longer, not just because there's more teams yeah. playing each other. So it's going to be not four weeks, it's going to be eight, nine, 10, 12 weeks and yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer. Is The only answer possible really would be NRL pumping more money into it. But according to Peter yeah, Landis, I think the answer is broke. more money. <laughs> well, but that's interesting. So he, he said um, just recently, despite um, uh, the, this current COVID um, lockdown, that the, the game's got itself in a really good financial position. So, you know, like they, they made a bit of money off, off uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, which is nice. Um, you know, she... Very charitable woman. Hopefully, she might even pay another eight million dollars to bring the third game of Origin back up to Queensland. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, I think that I think it's ultimately that they're going to have to make a strategic decision in investing in the women's game uh, more so. And you know, ideally, also the clubs will bear some of that burden. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. You have to you have to probably also just has to be a balance of you know maybe having a, a like a. Uh, almost an, a marquee system where they can afford to play some of those top line women to come down, but also invest more heavily in developing the local talent. So there's a pipeline there. They don't have to worry about relocating everyone. Another, yeah. um, well, as you said, Marit, another way they could do it, it would be what, when the Wolfpack were playing in the super league, uh, I believe, you know, what they were doing was having a home and away periods. So, you know, they play three, four games in a row 
in Toronto and then have a bunch in a row in England. So that could be an option at least. So if Melbourne are playing, let's say, eight games in a season or in a regular season, have the have the first four games or the last four games in Melbourne so they, they can just have a little holiday for a month and then go back to normal sort of thing, being able to be based out of Brisbane or wherever. Yeah, that makes a bit of sense. Yeah. I mean, that... That worked also, though, because those, those players were being paid a full wage and so their only jobs were to play for the Wolfpack. Um, yeah. Again, so to, to ask someone to pause their career or, or something like that that has nothing to do with football for those periods of time would be challenging. This season's going to move from four weeks to seven weeks this year and then I think it will move then to nine weeks on the, the season after that. And so for the game to work and for it to also be, um, you know, watchable and, and for it to continually improve, they also need a longer preseason and all of that takes time, money, aches and pains on bodies. And so it's a real, it's a real issue that the NRL needs to, to sincerely and severely address before we continue insisting on people being part of that. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before I move us on to our far last and, and final question? That one was, of course, from Swiss underscore Cowboy 78, who's one of my favourite accounts on Twitter, and so you should get around him if you're not already. But is there anything we want to say about NRLW before I move us on to our final fun one? No. None. I think that covers it. Great. So at Ernie Oz, he's tweeted us a fantastic question. I'm going to start with you, Xander, because I feel like I know what your answer is going to be. Music DJs at the football, are you a fan? <laughs> so I, I had no idea they existed. Um, <laughs> I, what I will say is that um, probably no. Um, I've noticed that there have been DJs popping up at all kinds of random places. There is, there is a DJ... Um, that in, inexplicably appears um, at the Westfield and Bondi Junction for some reason, just in the middle of the damn Westfield. <laughs> um, and it drives me fucking nuts. I, you know, look, I mean, no, just, I, I don't care what they have in the background. The music choices tend to be bad at football games anyway. I'd almost rather they didn't have any music at all. Now, there's one thing I'm going to quickly pick up on there, Xander. Which level is the DJ on, on Westfield in Bondi Junction? Uh, he's generally on the, the ground floor. If you work in, walk in um, uh, from, I can't remember which entrance that is, but uh, the, one that, the one that's um, uh, as you're coming to the junction on the right. Um, like they're, they're now, every time I've been in there on a weekend, like up until the last outbreak, it's just random DJ there. Now, Murray, you might not know this because you've not been to that uh, Bono Junction in, uh, sorry, that Westfield Bono Junction before, but Xander actually can't give that answer and he, and he doesn't know where it is. He thinks it's the ground level coming in on one particular door because if you walk in to Bono Junction through one door, you're on level three, and if you remain on that same floor and just continue to walk without changing stairs or anything like that, and you can walk back out onto the same street, you're now on level two. So it is the most <laughs> Willy Wonka-ish if we can timely tie back to that um, place you've ever been into in your life. That's infuriating enough, just you're pretending to know what floor you're on. So, of course, that DJ is probably trying to get to a show somewhere and just got lost and just stays where the hell he is. And, uh, he, and he keeps getting lost every week. Yeah. <laughs> and someone's paying him, maybe, so he just keeps going. Uh, Mario, how are you feeling about DJs in football? I feel like you're going to like it. Uh and for a while, I've strongly disliked it, but now I'm I'm coming around. I'm, I don't see myself ever liking it, but at the same time, I just don't care. It doesn't. It, if you just ignore it, it doesn't really offend me. I don't have to like every song. Someone there likes the song, and someone enjoys it. And we're you know, 
in this pl- this era where it's damn hard to get a job and live music and DJs and all these people are struggling to get a gig. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind them employing an, a guy to, to spin a few shitty tunes for a 10 seconds in between each break. So whatever. So effectively, your, your See, defense of the, the, the concept is they make sense as a bullshit job in the modern economy. Pretty much. Because it's better than getting yeah, job keeper. welfare. <laughs> yep. Why not? Now, I thought you were going to like it from a trolling point of view because I thought you were going to say that often like something would happen and then they would play hit the road jack or something when, when the opposition team gets sent to the bin and things like that. But they don't do it you're, not, you're not a fan of that kind I, of I, DJ trolling? I, I, oh. I don't really see the relevance. Missed when, opportunities. You know, Brian Toto scores a, tr- a try and they're playing Umbrella, Ella, Ella. It's like, no, fuck off. What's actually <laughs> yeah. play so that, some, play some That's my issue. <laughs> Yeah, if, if, if you'd gone to games and there were really clever songs and that sort of a time, then yeah, it'd be great. But as you said, it's like it's just random shitty songs from like the 90s and, you know, noughties that uh, have no, no relationship to what is happening on the field at all. Now, I'm going to tell you now, I, uh, I've just realised now that the guy at the ANZ who did South and Canterbury, definitely Canterbury, he is a, a friend of a friend of mine and he, um, he did a great job because he, he's the first person I ever realised after about uh, maybe 45 minutes that the songs were linking. I think there was two or three songs in where I was just like, they didn't just accidentally play that song because this just happened today. And then after about three or four of them, I was like, no, this guy's deliberately, he's watching the game and then quickly, you know, Apple iTunes searching his database to try and find the song that's going to match the situation. So I wish I could remember his name. I oh, see. That's that's actually shout out, he, I was about. Yeah, to say he was great. Gonna have have it. What we really should get is get Sid punts from full credit to the boys. Get his, get <laughs> yeah. his um sound panel and just every time a player touches the ball, he can play one of his pre-recorded songs. You know, such as "There's Only One Ronaldo," yeah. etc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that would be entertaining. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so his name was Andrew Rose. I think I think having um, the guy who's the DJ. So congratulations, Andrew Rose. The um, I think having Sid Punts do that would be fantastic for the first round or two. But then I think he would inevitably fall under the pressure and the power and end up doing really horrible songs or or fart noises or things like that when when people were playing the West Tigers. So I don't think he'd value the position long enough to to do that. But if can I get you to at least agree that if the DJ was was clever or insightful or at the very least spoke to the players and the players nominated songs like in baseball when they come out a particular song plays for them maybe when they score a try their song is played and then people get to know those players better because oh look that's that's Ronaldo Molotalo's song would would that be a better DJ solution I mean is someone walking out to the Hulk Hogan theme or the Ultimate Warrior yes. theme because you know then I'm down I'm, I'm all in then because <laughs> imagine t- Tommy suggests some song and then you hear it three times all that time Josh had a car, scored five tries in a game, six tries in a game. Just, I think that song would then forever be etched in people's minds that that was the night that we all watched Fox do that. And every time you hear that song, you'd be like, oh, this reminds me of Josh had a car. Like, I'm pretty sure Tommy Turbo's walking out to Belinda Carlisle or something lame. <laughs> and it's not, it's not walking out. I just want to clarify, it's when you score a try. Yeah, but indeed. Th- okay, well, I guess he's, he's walking out of the end goal. Uh, can you please remind me, Belinda Carlisle, what's her most famous hit? Uh, probably, probably Summer Rain. Oh, okay, okay. And so, or Heaven is a Place on Earth. Yep. 
That's another one. Just, it's sort of a, yeah. Okay, so it came back to me. Okay, so hopefully uh, our Lord and Saviour, Amy Brown, can, can overlay some music underneath this at the moment. Um, but, Xander, I didn't get an agreement in principle from you. I feel like I got Mario over the line. But are you ex- happy to accept a DJ and, and maybe even encourage DJs to play the music louder if it is comical, insightful, or has a link to what the player wanted played? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, if, if it fit those categories, I think I'm more just rebelling against mediocre DJs who just seem to be filling a spot <laughs> for the sake of it. But if they did that, it would be hilarious. Like, you'd enjoy that. Like, and, and I would, I'd be curious, you know, actually, as you say, you'd be curious to, to see what, what songs, you know, each player had selected. You know, I like mm. the idea of having them nominate what they should, should get for a try. I have a suspicion that Jerome Luai would have um, some Man by the Killers <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. A really cocky song somehow or other. Um, Holy shit. You know, and those two legends would choreograph something. If you want try celebrations to come back in full, I'm now starting to see that a DJ choreographed dance thing to it. Holy crap. Well, basically, it <laughs> needs to add to the game day experience. The, the problem with the rugby league mm. is if the game isn't very long and reserve grade and stuff doesn't draw people in. We need the game day experience to be good when all we're offering is, you know, $12 mid-strength beers and really shitty meat pies. Let's find ways to improve the game day experience. And that's an inexpensive way to do it. You know, get someone clever. Let's just get you, Biggest. Let's get you out there, you know, putting this to rugby league. You've got enough connections that you can find the right person. Give Wayne Pierce a call. He'll get onto Peter Volandis and you're in. You're employed. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, what would we call this? Uh, the not the Apollo project, but maybe the Moonwalk project. Uh, well, I don't really like Michael Jackson anymore, and we'll we'll come up with a name because that's a, that's the important part. But well, the other the other encouraging thing is that I know there's a large proportion of the uh, Sydney DJ media listen to this podcast, and they always listen to the uh, 120th minute of it. So I'm sure that I won't need to do much work that they'll be doing it now. I'd like to thank you again, Media Watch Mario, for your fantastic insights tonight. Uh, you, you were rageless, but, but still quite insightful. So thank you, Mario. Well, Manly have been winning. The Blues are winning. I mean, <laughs> apart from the 76ers, you know, losing the other day, I've had a, I've had a pretty decent sporting couple of weeks. So I've got nothing to rage about. I would just like to um, close by, again, we don't do it very often, but just a reminder, if the listeners could be so kind as to share our podcast around and give us a five-star review on iTunes or on their podcast app of choice. That would be very helpful. If you do so, let us know. We'll happily give you a shout-out on the show. And if you're listening to this this part of the show, you are definitely a five-star listener, so we thank you. Xander, your uh, almost non-existent union chat today was highly appreciated. We'll get lots of feedback about that because essentially the, the only feedback I ever see the show get is about what you talk about. Uh, and what people don't like about what you say. So congratulations on getting through a show uh, almost completely unscathed. Uh, wait, almost. I think it's completely... Have I, have I raised union in any context? I don't think I have, have I? It was mentioned. Oh, you were very close to the wife, Tonga, that whole vibe. It was dangerously close. I think a lot of people assumed you were talking about union maybe at that time. No, no, no. no. That, was, that, that, okay. was, that was purely all rugby league. Nothing about okay, union, well, I assure you. Well, until I next... Seat. No abuse well, of Twitter. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, just like Queensland, well done, Zero. Um, until next episode, just do what Paul Green does after a bad bake. Talk about Ronaldo Molotello's recipe instead. <laughs>